Here we are with the beginning of a, a new series, and so I want to just pray, and we'll dive right in. Romans 1, verse 1 is where we're going to be. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing in the world. We thank you for what you're doing here in our world, and we want to follow you, Lord Jesus, better. And so you've given us writings. You've given us words on pages that are from your very spirit through people so that we could know what you're like and hear your voice and get the rhythm of your way and follow hard after you. And so at day one of a long journey in this one part of what you've given to us, we want to say, Lord, we want to follow you, but sometimes we don't know how. So Holy Spirit of God, teach us and open our minds to see what you've already said so that it could be your word to us. In your name, amen. So uh, Romans 1, 1 is where we're going to be. We're going to read it in a bit. But uh, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Let's just, if you have a physical Bible, apps, it's harder to do this because there are no pages. I just want you to get your Bible if you have it and go to Romans 1, 1. And then just go to the end of Romans and just like thumb how big and yet small it is. It's just like, it's not even 10 pages here. It's all that we're going to look at, and it's going to take us a year to do it. There's 7,114 words, depending on your translation. 7,114 words. So we're going to go through it slowly, but this morning, I just want to set the tone for where we're at and where we're going to be. I want to ask you, like, an important question at the outset. What does this letter, this ancient letter to a group of people we've never met, what is that worth to you? You've probably, if you've been a Jesus follower or owned a Bible, flipped through or read all of Romans before. You've read the 7,114 words. But, but before we dive in, what is it worth? I mean, it's just like 10, 20 pages in a book. Now, if you're, if you're the church that's living at Rome at the time, these are life-giving words. And you need to know that this book, this letter, has shaped the history of the Jesus movement for 2,000 years, probably more than any other book in the Bible. As people have read this part of the Bible, even to some sense more than the Gospels, as the church has looked at these words, it's shaped the entire direction of what we think and what we believe and how we feel and the way that we live. But let me just ask you, what is it worth? Now, if you're in the first century, the way to stay in touch was through letter writing. So, Paul's doing what everyone else is doing. If you're on social media or, you, or you're on the internet and connected, we have our many ways. But there was like basically two. You showed up or you sent a letter. But the challenge is writing letters was super expensive back in the day. And so they wrote on ancient papyrus. The average letter from what we have of first century writings is 87 words. Because the piece of parchment that you put it on was valuable. Average letter is 87 words. The orator, Cicero, he was considered long-winded because he wrote an average of 295 words. That's the length of a letter. There's a philosopher named Seneca. He averaged almost 1,000 words. And then you have Paul writing to churches, right? He's not loaded, but his words averaged 2,495. And then Romans is the longest, 7,114. So you're saying, okay, what's, what's the point? Letter writing was methodical and expensive. Some scholar estimated that the cost to actually, because he dictated, he didn't write it by hand, 
He dictated. He had to pay someone to dictate it. He did multiple drafts. Then he had to write it on expensive paper and rewrite it and then physically have it sent to Rome. It cost almost 21 denarii, which comes out to $2,275 to write this letter to this church. Now, I, I got my whole Bible for like 20 bucks on Amazon. But it cost him not only time and energy, but $2,275 to get a message. So my point is, every one of these words is important because he's not wasting time because that would be wasting money. And so we're stepping into an ancient story and all of these words have value. So let me just ask you, how are you going to gain meaning and value from an ancient letter. Here's the plan for today. I'm going to let you know. It's going to be a little more like a lecture when you're starting a year-long series. We're not coming on the same footing. We're not on the same foundation. So today's going to be more of a lecture to set us up. I'm going to guess something. Reading the Bible is great and frustrating at the same time. Like it's great because you know it's God's word, whatever that is. But it's frustrating because you read it, like you have your news apps and you read the headlines, you know the stories, and you, you read an uh, Instagram post and you, the, the short little uh, statement and you get it. And then you open the Bible and it's like, I know it's from you, God, but why did you make it so confusing? And if that's you, you're like everyone. You're not alone. You're the majority, not the minority. And so what we want to do is today and in the series debunk the difficulty of reading the scriptures by giving you real tools that you can use. The goal of this series is not that you know Romans better. The goal of the series is that you would know Jesus better. And the way that we get to know Jesus better is by discerning what he said to us. So I need to think. I need to understand. I need to do a little digging at times. I need to step in. And here's the good news. You can. So we're not going to like say, wow, look at how much I know Romans. No, we're going to step into this together. And I just challenge you, if at any point you get stuck, you email me. Email's on the website, and I want to help you. I want to help you get every bit of the scriptures, because in the scriptures, we are pointed to Jesus. And so if you're stumbling or stuck, you're not alone. Just ask for help. So, okay, here we go. Let's a couple of questions to get us started. How do we read Romans? So how do you read this? Or like, how do you read any part of scripture? This is going to sound so basic, but sometimes we miss the point. Read it. Read it again and read it again. What happened was when, when a letter was sent, the community would get together, and they would sit in someone's home, and they would listen, and someone would read the letter from Paul to them out loud. Most people were not literate. And if they were, they weren't wealthy enough to own a copy themselves. And so Romans was meant to be listened to. Here's good news. How many have version Bible app on your phone or your device? Right, version. If you don't, just put in version in the search. It's absolutely free, and you can listen to Romans on the way to work. You can listen to Romans during your workout. You can listen in multiple translations. Every time before I get up here, I read the same text in multiple translations because sometimes a different English word brings out a nuance I didn't see before. You can do all of that. As a matter of fact, now in version, they just did an update. You can read the same verse without having to change versions. Just press the button and you can see all of the versions on one screen. They've made it so easy and it's free. I encourage you, uh, use whatever it takes, but read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. Read Romans every week before you show up on Sunday. Just read the whole thing. 
Here's why. We only have time to do like five to seven verses every weekend because we want to look in more deeply. But if you miss the big picture, you could take a few words, pull them out of what they meant to say, and in a sense, not trying to twist it. You can, you can miss the forest from the tree, so to speak. So read it every week. Read it again and again and again. And read it with tools to help. Um, just to let you know, because this is an ancient letter, 2,000 years old, sometimes what Paul's saying, by the way, the way he writes Romans is the way every, everyone wrote any letter. He didn't create something new. He just took the style of the day and the spirit inspired him to say things that are now lasting. We've got seven resources, I think. It's on our website right now. If you go to our series on our website, there are links. It links directly to Amazon. You can click and buy it there. If you do, we get a 10% kickback, evidently. Amazon wants to give their money away. But if you buy it from Amazon, the money will come back to the church. Or I pick the three most likely resources to be helpful of the seven, and I, I categorize them by basic, intermediate, and advanced. Because as you're reading an ancient letter, there are some things you're not going to see, I'm not going to see. By the way, sometimes it seems like I know what I'm talking about because I'm not looking at anything. You just need to know I spend hours and hours reading to figure this out. I don't know this off the top of my head. And neither does anybody, but you can learn. So three, I would recommend Tim Keller. If you're brand new to Jesus or the Bible, Tim Keller, Romans 1 through 7, Romans for you. It's out there. You can buy it from us or you can buy it online. I'm an e-reader. I do everything in Kindle and it's slightly cheaper. So if you want to do that, great. Message of Romans, John Stott, classic. This guy's one of the best thinkers and writers. He's now with Jesus in our lifetime, in the last century. British guy. Actually met him in Amsterdam one time. It was an honor uh, a few years before he passed away. And the message to the Romans, totally recommend it. It's really, really written from a pastor's heart. Not just what the text says, but what it means to us in the church. So if you're looking to apply it, a really good resource. If you can only buy one, I recommend the NIV application commentary by Douglas Moo. Douglas Moo, he teaches at Wheaton. He's probably the leading writer in the letter to the Romans, probably written more about it than anyone else today. And the NIV application takes the text, tells you what it means, the context what it means sitting in the bigger story, and then how do we try to apply it today? If you want to learn how to study the Bible, just reading this along with your Bible is going to help you. What I'm saying is God's word has power, but it's powerless to you if you don't know what it means. But you have tools. These are three. There's a couple of more advanced ones on our website. I encourage you. I read all of them every week. You're going to laugh because if you read this along, you're going to see me saying some of the things you read and say, aha, I've gone behind the curtain. I know what's going on. So uh, now we're in different places. Some of you are in between work. Some it's financially challenging right now. I don't think we physically have them. I, I didn't see beforehand. Maybe Kenny, if you could find out if we, if we have them. We have some coupons that we're going to print out. And what we're going to do is at the end of the gathering, we're just going to put it so it's low key. We're just going to put some coupons on the front. And if you want, you just grab one. We have the books out at the welcome desk. But if you say, I want a resource right now. I don't have the 20 bucks or whatever. We just want to do it for you. So just pick up one of the coupons. Don't feel bad. Feel good that God has graced the church to have resources to give. So just grab it. Pick anyone that you want and enjoy it. Okay? So that's the deal. Well, that's a little bit about how we read it, but let's actually read it. Don't read about the scriptures. Read them. 
but read them and then read about them, then read them, then read about them, and that's how we grow. But I thought to start it off, we need South African flair. So my new best friend, Neil, no joke, my new best friend, he's like, I don't think he's really going to do this. I actually am. Neil's going to come. Welcome, Neil. Come on, welcome him. And uh, I, we just met this morning, but I was in Thailand in Myanmar with, uh, with his it's wife, true. Uh, Stephanie. And so I, I heard his voice and thought, the new podcast that we're going to do, we're going to do a video podcast. You're meeting the voice of our new podcast. <laughs> you don't believe me. But why don't you read for us, because it sounds better with South African accent, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Why don't you read along as well? Paul. A servant of Jesus Christ. I got to stop. It's already better. This is already better. <laughs> Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, to, who as to his early life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dude, it sounds so good. We're expecting you every week at nine, actually. They go to Bridgetown, but we love them anyway. All right. So uh, that's the introduction. So Paul introduces a letter just like everyone else. You don't just start. You start by introducing. So let's, let's ask some good questions. What is Romans? See, we read is Romans is in the Bible. Well, take a step back. Romans is a letter. It's a real letter. It was written to a real group of people in a real city Paul had no idea that the Spirit of God was doing something bigger. Side note, the Spirit of God is always doing something bigger. You just think you're texting your friend to encourage him. You just think you're emailing your buddy to give him a good thought. You just think you're having coffee because you want to catch up. The Spirit of God is always doing something bigger than what you're doing. So the Spirit is working in Paul, who has a heart for a group of people he has never met before. So Romans has the longest introduction of all of Paul's letters. Why? He doesn't know these people at all. So he's going to stack up at the upfront a huge introduction. It's going to take us three weeks to look at just his intro because he puts in it the tone of the entire letter is stacked up at the front end. As a matter of fact, two weeks from now or three weeks from now, we're going to be looking at the central thought in the entire letter. If you memorize one verse, you memorize the entire concept of what Paul's getting after. But it is a real letter. Now you realize, if you ever looked at Romans 16, he knows a bunch of people in the church, but he hasn't been there. And because of that, we need to remember something, and write this down, please, this is so important. Paul's letter to the Romans was written for you, but not to you. And that may seem like a slam. No, no, it's God's word to me. Well, no, and yes, and yes and no. What God used Paul to write was written for your good. It's for me, but it wasn't written to me. Paul was not thinking about you. So he's going to write specific things to specific people. But you know what? We're all flesh and blood. So some of the things are going to like really hit home. 
others are not because their problem may not be your problem. So don't feel bad when you read a part of the scriptures in Romans. You're like, man, that doesn't hit me at all. It may not actually be for you. It may be written, may have been written for them, but there is always something, because we're all flesh and blood, that you can learn from what was written to someone else. So it's written for you, but it's not written to you. That's why these resources will help us first see it for what it meant and then what it means. Now, why the letter to the Romans? Why? He hasn't been to Rome yet, and, and this church is in an interesting spot. When I think of the church in Rome, how many of you have been to Rome? Like, I've been to Rome. It's just such a beautiful city. Please go to Rome, because it's, just, it's full of history. And I would think when I read Romans, um, that, that, that Rome is this huge, flourishing church. Picture this. Paul writes a letter to a city that has about a million people. Now, in the first century, few to no cities had a million people. It's the center of the Roman Empire. It is the, like, Washington, D.C. It's the Tokyo. It's the Shanghai. It, it's the New York. It's like the, the big city that culture stems from. In a city of a million, how many Jesus followers? Scholars, we can't get it precisely. Most agree. Less than 100. That just changed the whole letter. There are more people in this room than in the entire Jesus movement in Rome. He is writing this appeal to a group of people who are totally dominated by a culture unlike their own. They're living in a godless city. They're living in a city where Caesar is known as the Lord, as divine king. And it's not as beautiful as if you've ever watched the movies about Roman culture and everything. They are beautiful and ruthless especially if you're not on their side. And so Paul is writing to this fledgling church. They have no building, they have no lights, they have no screen, they have homes. And they meet in homes, groups of 10 and 20 and 30. Sometimes all will get together. They have a meal. They eat together, they pray together, they love one another. And they live in a chaotic place that does not love Jesus. Paul has not been there yet. Now, a little bit of background is helpful. Why did he write in... Uh, in AD 47, a little bit after the church's birth, AD 49 actually, something interesting happens. So Jesus dies, rises again in the early 30s. The gospel gets to Rome. We don't even know how. Acts tells us the church is there. But we don't even know how. We don't know who pioneered it. It's not, it's not some say Peter. We don't know. It's not Paul. A church starts there, but it's almost all Jewish. Let me give you a perspective. There are Korean churches in the Portland metro area. Have you, met, have you seen them? The, the culture is Korean. The language is Korean. It's a Jesus church, but, but it's Korean. So it's in the city, but it's its own thing. Same thing with the church in Rome. It was mostly Jewish because the Spirit came on the people in Jerusalem. There were Jews from Rome who were born again. They go back to Rome, and the church is almost all Jewish. But in that, they're living in a mostly non-Jewish city. So it'd be like a Spanish church or Korean church or Chinese church in Portland. You're in it, but nobody goes there because they don't fit your culture. But in, in AD 49, Emperor Claudius, because the church started to grow and the talk of Jesus being alive started to grow, he kicked all the Jews out of Rome. Everyone had to leave the city. Immediately, the church flips because it was mostly Jewish with a few non-Jews called Gentiles. And then in a moment, the, the church is now led by what was the minority group. Claudius dies. The next emperor comes. 
he reverses the decision. The Jews come back, and now there's confusion in the church because there's two different cultures who see life totally differently, different values, different language, different system, different text, and two different groups are now in the church. The one that started it were leaders. They got kicked out, and now new Christians are leaders, but then they're brought back in, and so there's a little bit of division on how do we do church in this multi-ethnic, confusing city, and do we do it with a Jewish worldview, or do we do it with a non-Jewish worldview? Now, you need to know this, that Rome is the most strategic city in the empire, and so Paul is writing to them because he's preached for 25 years. He's planted churches on three tours that took him more than 10 years. And if there's anyone who's seen clashes of culture, a.k.a., do all Christians get along? No. Wherever there are two people, there will be a fight. Eventually. Because one will say, I am right. And the other will say, the only problem with that is that you're wrong. I'm right. That's in every relationship, it's in every home, every business, and it's in every church. How do we do Jesus together when our culture is so, so different? Paul has something to say. So in AD 57, he's in Corinth taking a break. He's planted all these churches. He's the leading thinker in the Jesus movement. He's writing all these churches, and he stops. He has like a little, a little you know, extended break at the coast, so to speak. And he's not going to plant a church. He's thinking about what's next. Now, I want us to see what he tells the church. Romans 15, 23. I'll just throw it on the screen for time. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, so he's writing the church, saying what, why he's writing. Since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So Paul writes Romans because if his area of activity has been here, Rome would be here, and Spain is here. He realizes, man, I'm done with Corinth. I'm done planting here. I, I, God is calling me westward and north to Spain. He so says, I'm going to visit you. I hope while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. He's letting them know straight up, I need help. I, you, I've got a track record of seeing Jesus work in these cities. I feel called to Spain. You're the closest megacity to Spain. I want to be with you. I love you. I need you because just like all the other churches helped send me out, I'm now asking you to consider sending me out. So after I've completed the task and made sure that they have received this contribution, he's going to Jerusalem to give some money, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know when I come to you that I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. His goal is to pour his life out to these Jesus followers because he knows if there is a movement of the church in Rome, it's going to shake the empire. It's going to shake the whole empire. If you reach the megacities, you will reach the smaller cities. By the way, that's all throughout church history. If we avoid the cities, then we're going to miss the cultural movement. We always plant churches in cities because in cities, culture is developed, and it goes out of cities, out into suburbia, out into rural areas. That's the way culture moves. And so we need to always remember cities, even the city of Portland. Now, Paul has something to say to them 
but it's not just to them. He's a master teacher, but hear this. Sometimes I think, like, what Paul, what he wanted to do is just write this beautiful theology of what it means to follow God. Actually, yes and no. Paul's a brilliant thinker, but you need to know why he's writing. He's writing because he's a missionary. He's writing because he has a new culture on his mind. His heart is to get the gospel to Spain. And so because he doesn't know them, Romans, the letter, is a setup. This is what I teach. This is what the churches believe. This is what God has done. When I get there, I'm going to expand on all of this. So Romans is not all that Paul believes. By the way, side note, it's not all that you need to read. We need the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation because if you only read Romans, you would never take communion because Paul never mentions communion in following Jesus. He never mentions the bread and cup. Why? It wasn't an issue for them. Paul only writes about issues that they're dealing with. It's a real letter. So here's the brilliance of God. Every church had a different issue. You read all of the Bible, you get all the issues. God's brilliant. But remember, he's writing a letter to them, not to us. So he's a missionary. And oh, side note, he's going to Spain. This is such good news for those of us who realize I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Um, he's going to Spain. Does Paul ever make it to Spain? Most scholars say no. He felt God calling him to Spain. He gets to Rome. Most believe he never made it to Spain. Sometimes God is moving you somewhere. You think it's to there. But God's more interested in daily obedience than your master plan. So he wants to go to Spain. God knows Paul's going to realize he needs cash. Cash is in Rome. He makes it to Rome. We don't know if he ever made it there. But was God's will done in Paul's life? You bet. Or in Minneapolis, you betcha. Um, if you're from the Twin Cities, I, anyway. It's early. I go random. All right. Now, how's the letter set up? Are you with me so far? We're, we're, today, we're just getting the foundation. How's the letter set up? All right, we've got a slide for you. The title of the series is Romans, Good News for Everyone. Romans is about good news. The word gospel is good news. In Greek, it's euangelion or evangel in English. Evangel means to herald or to shout good news. It's a word that was in the day. Everyone used the word evangel. The Romans used the word evangel to talk about Caesar. When a new Caesar is born, an evangel is written to the empire. A heralding of good news. Caesar Claudius is born. He is the son of God. That's exactly what they would say. Caesar is the son of God. We'll get into that as the weeks go on. But Paul's got a flip on their terminology. It's good news for everyone. Remember that the church is Jewish and Gentile. It's for those who know the Old Testament. It's for those who don't know it. What we're going to look at in this series is the six kind of phases or stages in Romans. So it's the good news for everyone. But first and foremost, chapter one is about the message of the good news. Then the end of chapter one through the end of chapter four is about the heart of the good news. What is the central message? We're going to catch that in the next three weeks. What's the heart? What does that message say to us? That's going to take a few months. Then the hope, in light of the message, if you receive it, 
What's the hope? What do you get out of the gospel? Romans 5 through 8. But it's not just a message for you. It's a message for us, the people. What happens in the church? Romans 9 through 11. All right, how do we do life together? That's the power of the good news, Romans 12 through 15. By the way, we'll go through June. We'll take us to chapter 11. We'll take the summer off and we'll start the fall with the power of the good news, fall of next year. And then the sharing of the good news in light of its power, what do we do with it? And that'll be chapter 15 through chapter 16. So that's, by the way, this slide is on our website. If you want to download it and use it to frame out how the letter works. So the Romans, in, in one sense, is about the gospel. It's just about good news. Now, that good news is for everyone. And by the way, if you pick up any of these resources, they're going to outline, everyone outlines the letter slightly differently. I just took a compilation of all that I read and made it super simple. So if you read it like, hey, man, your outline's wrong. They are smarter, but I'm here. Okay? So. <laughs> it's the truth. All right. The message of the good news. Now we're going to start to get into it. That was a bit of our background. Now let's just look at Romans 1, 1 through 7. Are you breathing? Okay, because I'm getting, I'm a little nervous here. But um, so far, so good. All right, Romans 1, 1 through 7. Let's just look at it again. Paul, a servant of Christ, Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 1, 1 through 7 is one long sentence. Paul knows how to write. All of 1, 1 through 7 is one long sentence in Greek. It's like he just, he can't wait to get started. But in it, he tells us a couple of things. First, he tells us about his own life and calling. Look at how Paul describes himself. A servant, word there is doulos. You could call it a slave. A slave of who? A slave of the Messiah, who is Jesus. Remember, this is a Jewish church and a non-Jewish church. Jews believe that, that Jesus was the promised Messiah that the prophets spoke about. And Paul's quick to say, you're right. Jesus is, I am a slave. I am just a servant of the true king, the Messiah, who is Jesus. But at the same time, I'm called. Called to be what? An apostle. Uh, that's an official spokesperson, a messenger. So first thing you get from Paul, because remember, he's never met these people. I want you to know the two sides of me, two sides of the coin. One, I'm just a slave. I'm here for your good. A slave is not about their mission. It's about the mission of their master. And Paul says, like, my master's Jesus. My life is his. Wherever he tells me to go, I'm going to go. I'm here not to lead you. I'm here to serve you. That's a good reminder. Great Leaders in the church are servants, and Paul's the greatest. But the same token, he's like, you can't step on me because I'm actually an apostle, an official messenger of Jesus. Both together get the heart of the person. Humble, but I have authority. Slave to Jesus, but at the same token, Jesus met Paul on the road, Acts 9, and said, I am appointing you, my messenger, to the non-Jews. By the way, the only reason Paul goes to Rome is because decades later, Jesus said, I'm going to send you to non-Jewish cities of which Rome is like the greatest. Point of application. You never, God may have put something on your heart 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Don't give up on it. God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. 
It could be that it's taking 30 years to develop your character so when you actually get there, you don't blow it up. Paul, a servant, slave, humble, apostle, messenger, authority. He's both. And what does he do? He is set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, he's dedicated to one thing. You see, when you choose to follow Jesus over time, you'll begin to narrow and narrow and narrow and narrow down the things that Jesus has called you to do. Here's the good news. You're not the savior of the world. Breathe deep. You're not going to change everybody. You're not going to do everything. You're not God's gift to humanity, but you're someone. Humble, slave, but an apostle. In his case, you're not an apostle. He is an apostle. An apostle, in his sense of the word, is someone who met Jesus face to face. And he is one of the few that met Jesus face to face. Now those with apostolic gifting, totally yes. Sent gifting, missionary gifting, called to open up new places gifting. We've got that. But Paul's like one of the capital A apostles. None like him. So in that, he has to fulfill his calling. He is set apart to do what? Proclaim the gospel of God. So Paul, humble leader. Second thing we see, though, is what's Paul's message? It's at the end of verse 1. The gospel of God. And then verse 2 explains it. What's the gospel of God? What's the good news of God? The good news he proclaimed beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, Jesus, and then he defines who his son is. As to his earthly life, he's a descendant of David, which is, by the way, promised in the Holy Scriptures. The only way that the Jews knew that Jesus was the Messiah is he had to be a biological son of David, of which Jesus of Nazareth is. And to who through the Holy Spirit of holiness, I say that because capital S is important, through the Holy Spirit within him was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So it's not saying two, two different Jesuses. It's saying Jesus, the man, Jesus, the Son of God, completed the mission of God. My message is good news of God. So Paul's not about his message. He's not about his agenda. He's not about his thing. As a matter of fact, he's not trying to start a new faith. What Paul's saying to a Jew and Gentile church is, Jews in the church, you've got it right. The gospel does not start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The gospel starts with Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st Samuel, 1st Kings, 1st Chronicles, and you keep going. The good news of God starts at the beginning, and we see God at work, and it's fulfilled, though, in Jesus. Because he doesn't say the good news of Moses, the good news of David, the good news of Isaiah, as my South African friends would probably say. The rest of us would say Isaiah. He's saying the good news of the Son. So Jesus is not just a part of the story like Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Jesus. No, it's like all these other guys, Jesus up here, and then Paul way back at the bottom. The whole good news is about the message of God in Jesus. So the good news begins with creation. The good news begins with the fall of Adam and Eve. The good news begins with the promise that God comes to the garden in their sinful state. God speaks to sinners from day one, so to speak. When Adam and Eve blow it, 
God shows up in the garden, says, I'm with you. He covers their nakedness and he promises them, I will send one from your womb, Eve, a real man to make the wrong right, to turn the world back to the way I intended. And by the way, we're living on the other side. We can look back and see that was Jesus. So Paul says the good news is of God. It's God's message. It's God's news. But let's round out the rest of the verses. Verse 5. Through him, who? Jesus. We receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. To the obedience that comes from faith. In, in, in original language, it's obedience of faith. From day one, the good news of God is about faith and obedience. And what we're going to see, this may be new to many of us, is that the good news of God is not just about faith. It's about faith that takes you to obedience. Or it's not just about obedience. God is not interested in you being a better person. Because better isn't perfect. And only perfect qualifies to be in the presence of God. So we're all in the same mess. We're all in the same boat. We're not perfect, Jesus is. So somehow, through Jesus and God's grace on us, his favor on us, you and I get to receive mercy to stand as children of God and now tell others the good news. So through him we receive grace and apostleship. So the grace that Paul receives, he's changed so that he can message, hey, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He changes the way I live. So prepare to have your life completely transformed by the Holy Spirit as you read this letter. Because if you read it with an open heart, you're going to find yourself sitting in that house church in Rome, hearing these words of God to you. And it's going to shape, absolutely shape, the way you see God and yourself and the world. He calls to obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to, what's the word there? Belong to Jesus Christ. So he, from the first line, which is, this is all one sentence. He's like, you and I get good news that God saves sinful people he gives us grace and then he sends us out so that others who don't know it will know the grace can come to them. And through the obedience of faith, the combination of you expressing faith in Jesus followed by obedience to Jesus is what he's calling everyone around the world to, Jew and Gentile alike. And the result is you belong to Jesus. So he's not writing to people who don't know about Jesus. He's writing to people who already are acquainted in right relationship to Jesus. Obedience and faith. Obedience and faith. The reason I emphasize that is because there, there is the spectrum and some of us are so, so self-conscious, so I got to get it all right, so perfectionistic, we err and say like, man, I don't know if I really belong to Jesus because I'm not exactly living like him yet. To you, I would say, don't forget you belong to Jesus so that you can live like Jesus. 
It is faith in him that saves. And you're going to see it again and again and again. It is faith in what Jesus, the Messiah, did that saves, not my obedience. But then, that's some of us. I think more of us are on this side. Jesus has my back. He's got me. Thank God for grace. So he understands my needs and my greeds. And he knows I'm a work in progress, so I'm going to make the standard as low as I can because grace will cover a multitude of stupidities. And, and then we need, we'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Faith leads us. Martin Luther puts it this way. We are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Man, that is worth a tattoo on your back. <laughs> saved by faith, that's a big back. Saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So the language he uses to round out verse 7, and we're done, to all in Rome who are loved by God. See, you're loved by God and called to be his holy people. We miss this because we're not Jewish. Who is the holy people? In a Jewish mindset, it is those who are in covenant relationship with God through Abraham. In other words, the holy people are circumcised Jews. And look what Paul says to the church. Jew, Gentile, who cares? You're all in God's family, you belong to Jesus, you're loved by him, you are in. And that means for you and me, we're, we're coming in from the perspective of not outsiders, but we're coming to the perspective of insiders. You're loved by God, you're called by God. So he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, grace to you, God's favor to you, grace and peace. All of Paul's letters start that way. Equal footing. Grace and peace to you. All right, now, what does that mean for you? Let's just bring it back to you for a second. We did the background. We looked at the text. Each week, we're going to look at a little bit of text. What does that mean for you? Let me just ask you the question that I asked you at the beginning. What does the study of Romans, what value is there for you? Can I just say this? Everyone who got this initial letter already had heard the good news of Jesus. And now they were called to live in it. But this isn't Rome. And this isn't the first century. So I got to take a step back to where Paul knows exactly who he's writing to. But I don't even know most of you here. So let me just ask you at the outset, are you part of the holy people? Are you the one who's experienced the love of God? Are you the one that belongs to Jesus Christ? Are you in the family? Because the letter is written to those in the family so that they can grow to be sons and daughters of God. And I want you to live that way, and we want you to live that way. I'm not going to assume you're living that way. So no guilt trip this morning, but an honest gut check. Would you identify yourself as a real follower of Jesus who's expressed faith in what he did, followed by obedience to his lordship? Because what Paul's going to say again and again here is a subtle twist. In Rome, Caesar is Lord. But Paul says in sentence number one, Jesus is Lord. Which, by the way, when they're reading this, they're scared to hold it. Because to say in Roman culture that anyone else was Lord other than Caesar was blasphemy. And Paul says to you in Rome, 
Jesus is actually over Caesar. Follow him. And one day you will find yourself in the right, vindicated by God. Caesar is off and Jesus is Lord. Follow Jesus. This is going to get them in trouble. This is going to cost them something. Are you willing to say in a culture that says anything goes, no, I'm going to go the way of Jesus? Are you someone who's going to say, in light of all of the plethora of spiritual beliefs that make up the Portland metro area, no, Jesus is the Savior, and I'm one of his kids, and I'm going his way? Have you made that line in the sand where I say, you know what, I used to be, but now I am? Are you a Jesus follower right now? If not, this is your shot, 9 a.m., actually 10, 12. This is your opportunity to express faith in Jesus. And we want you to do it right now. I'm gonna ask the band to come and I want you to take your Bible and put it to the side. And if it helps you to shut your eyes, then shut them. If it helps to keep them open, I don't care, frankly. I want you to think about you and Jesus. And I shut my eyes because you distract me. But you and Jesus, are you one of his followers? Are you one of his disciples? Do you want to be one of his followers? Do you want to be one of his disciples? You can because of the grace that's extended in Jesus, anyone, anywhere. This is good news for everyone. And you can receive it if you receive it. John puts it this way. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he, God, gives the right for them to become children of God. That's the language of Paul. Belong to Jesus. Children of God. You can But I can't make that decision for you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. Your spouse, even though she wants to or he wants to, cannot make that decision for you. You need to hear the gospel and respond to it with faith followed by obedience. And a faith that is genuine will show up. But just showing up doesn't mean you've actually expressed faith. Both, according to Paul. Lord, you know your kids here and you know those who are on the way, who you love, you made, you're pursuing and have not yet expressed faith in you. We pray for them now. We don't know what you know, Holy Spirit of God. But we ask as you've been knocking, we ask as you've been pursuing, we ask God that they would express that faith today and be made to live a whole new life with a whole new leader and a whole new future and a a whole new power to live as you intended. We want that for everyone and we're asking you, Jesus, to do that and the people seated to our left and to our right. Do it, Lord, here we pray.